Welcome to the snooze button. Hey, I'm Brittany of Brittany She and Sleep. I've got 99 problems, but my kid's sleeping isn't one. We have another very exciting guest. I say that every time, but it's true because they're always very exciting. So I have with me Emily Tucker Bernstein. So Emily is not only a friend of mine, she also was, and I realized this, Emily, because we were well, when we planned this, I was like, this is great. Harriet just went through the newborn course. You can come on, talk about your stuff. And then I remembered that I worked with you one-on-one. Like, how did I forget that? With Jack and Brady, like yeah. three years ago or something. So like you have so, so much yeah, it was context in the history of the business. Um, so for post-COVID, oh, what a time to be alive. Um, but Emily is <laughs> the founder of Emily Tucker Design, which is an interior design studio based in Boulder. And she specializes in high-end residential interiors. Um, her home is a great example of just a gorgeous, well-designed place. Um, Emily's known for her use of color and unique ability to blend traditional and modern design to create spaces that are distinctly suited to the families and individuals that inhabit them. So Emily, welcome. Thank you. So exciting. Can you hear me, Emily? No. <laughs> I, can, I can hear you. Can oh, you God, hear I me? I hope our Wi-Fi is not going to give me a, a delay. Yes, I can. Ugh, it's me. It's it, I'm the problem. It's me. Um, okay. Well, I'm very excited that you're here. Um, and I will say when I was reading the like blurb you sent me about your you, use of color and unique ability, it really is like, I think it's interesting. I feel like a lot of people who do what you do and are interior designers, like they have such a very specific look. It's like, everything is like coastal or everything is like black. And yours is like, I feel like you are, it's kind of rare to, I feel like someone could come to you and want something totally different from the next person. And you would be able to like execute their vision, which I think is kind of hard for some people. Yeah. So I think that that is, you know, like whenever we have clients come in and they're like, what's your style? Or like, what do you, like, if I have a specific taste, like how do you tailor your home to to fit their needs and their style and their aesthetic. And I like to say that I am the filter. So like I take so many things into consideration when we're designing a home, like obviously the people who live there and like, do they like color? Do they like patterns? Do they like vintage things? And then also the style of the architecture of the house that they're in. Is it a really modern house? Is it really traditional? Mm. Is it like a Tudor house? Is it like all these different things play, you know, factor into the overall design And, um, and so I like to say that I am like the filter that like everything goes through me and the product that comes out on the other end is, is all cohesive, but it really, it starts with the people who live there and the house that they're living in. That is so cool. And I don't know, for some reason, what you do, like there are certain jobs that I'm just very in awe of because like, I can tell that something is nice. Like I can go to someone's house and be like, Oh, this is like not cute. And I can go to ones and be like, wow, this is gorgeous. (laughs) But I can't like do it. You know what I mean? Like if you gave me a bunch of stuff in a store, I couldn't like make it look good in a room. So I don't know where I'm going with this, but it's just very impressive. I mean, it's really fun. We all have our things, you know, like I think my parents are both artists. And I think like having that, like being able to see things that aren't there and and bring them to like bring them into existence, I think is something that was always around when we were kids. So it's, um, it was like something that was like, I don't know, it was fostered in me from a young child. Yeah. And I'm sure it's like, just something you were born with that skill. Yeah. That's such a good way of putting it, like seeing things that aren't there and knowing how it's going to look, having a vision for it. Um, 
So beyond that, because that was actually yeah. going to lead into I, my I first a, question. I have, a, I have a good imagination. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Um, so when, like, because I know you didn't, you know, like graduate from college and immediately start your company. So like, what was the trajectory? I mean, I know what it was, but tell everybody else from, you know, leaving school all the way to starting this business. <laughs> Yeah. So I went to uh, the University of Colorado Boulder, home of the Buffaloes and Coach Prime. I don't Go know Buffs. if you're familiar. <laughs> Go Buffs. Um, and I studied architecture at CU and pretty quickly, I would say like halfway through the architecture program, I was like, I don't want to be an architect. It was, they really like put you through all of the bullshit that you, oh, can I swear? All of the stuff that you have to deal with. Yeah, it's fine. Um <laughs> when you get into the real world, like size of corridors and fire exits and ADA accessible bathrooms and all those things, which are important, but just, they weren't the problems that I was interested in solving. Um, but I was happy to have that foundation. So I went, finished my undergraduate degree and I moved back to LA. It was 2009. So it was peak recession. Um, and mm-hmm. I wanted to work for Domino magazine. I was like dead set on working for Domino. One of my cousins had like a connection there and she was like, I could probably get you a job as an intern in the styling department. And I was like, perfect. All I wanted to do was interior styling. I thought that would be just the best. Um, and then Domino closed. So that was out. So I went back to LA <laughs> and, um, basically just like begged all my parents' friends who had designers to let me work for them. I was like, I know nothing, but I can do AutoCAD and I know Photoshop and I, you know, I had a good hustle. So I was like, I can, I, somebody give me a job. And one of my parents' friends basically like, I think she like convinced her decorator to hire me and she was, she pulled me aside and she was like, okay, Brad's going to hire you, but he really doesn't want to. And he knows that, you know, nothing. So you need to like really do a good job. And if you mess this up, like it's on me. So, and so the first designer great, I worked for was this starting point. <laughs> yeah. She was like, you can't do this. You know absolutely nothing about this, but I'm going out on a limb for you. Please don't mess it up. So I started yeah. working for Brad Dunning, who's an incredible interior designer based out of LA. He's really, really low key, but he like has designed like everybody in Hollywood's house. He's Tom Ford's interior designer. And the first day I went to work, he works out of Tom Ford's private office on sunset. And I walked into the office and I'm like sitting there in the lobby, like waiting for Brad to come out and like, tell me what to do. And Tom Ford walks in and I was like, ah, ah, hi, he's like, hi, I'm Tom. And I'm like, yeah, obviously. Hi. <laughs> so that was my first, that was my first job. He hired me to do an install, which um, is when you like move all the things into a house in a short period of time. It's like the end of a project. It is by far and away the best part of every job. Um, and so I was hooked. Like I hustled that week so hard. I was like running errands and you know, it's the least glamorous part of interior design is installing, but it's also the most fun. And by the end of the week, he was like, okay, you can come back on Monday. So that was my first step in the door of interior design. And from there I went and worked for Kelly Wurstler for a very brief period of time, but it was an interesting experience just to see how to run like a really big, uh, like high production office. And then I worked for Ruthie Summers, who I got a lot of really good information from. And then she really convinced me that if I wanted to do this on my own, I had to move to New York. So I, um, my sister was living in New York at the time and I applied to five interior designers in New York 
And Stephen Gambrell wrote me back and they hired me. <clears throat> and so I moved to New York and worked for Stephen for four years. Um, and that I think was like the, that's where I got the bulk of my education and how to run a business, how to be a successful part of a team. Um, and really just like how to look at spaces, how to look at color, how to look at texture and scale and like put things together in a way that, that really worked. And so I really, I credit Steven so much for like, just really just teaching me like an insane amount in a short period of time. And then I love let's that. see. So then I worked for Steven for four years and then we moved to Boulder cause we were sick of the hustle of New York. And, um, and I had my first son and I opened my studio here and that was like seven years ago. And now here Amazing. we are. And now here we are. And I mean, you're crediting Stephen for all this, but I, mean, I also, I credit your hustle. I think it's, I, I just, I feel like this needs to be said because if you were somebody who's younger listening to this and you're like, how do these people have all these jobs? I guess like, you know, they just, somebody like hooks them up and da da da. Someone, I was the same as you. Someone, I had an aunt hook me up backstage at fashion week for a week. But guess what? All the other interns were also hooked up by somebody and they did jack shit. So guess who was the only person standing at the end of fashion week, right? Same as you. It's like you have to, if, you, if you're interested in something, you might get a connection initially, but you got to work your butt off and keep going after things. And that is how you're successful. And you have the hustle. Like you, you're good at it, but you also work really, really hard. Like there is no substitute for hard work ever. A hundred percent. And I like, I... I credit that. Yes, that's so true. And like, I mean, Brad really didn't want to hire me. Like he really didn't. And he was looking for every reason to not have me continue on with him after that first week. But, um, but I really wanted to be there and I worked really hard with a smile, like anything that he needed. I was like, yep, no problem. Even if I had no idea where I was going to get it or how I was going to get it to the house we were installing, I was like, no problem. I'll do it. And like, just figure it out. I mean, I have one friend who teaches a seminar at CU called Google Harder. And it's just like all these people who are coming into the workforce who have no idea. And then they like come to their boss and they're like, um, how do I do this? It's like, I figure it out. Like, I'm not here to hold oh your God. hand. I want you to succeed. But in order for you to succeed, you have to have some problem solving skills. And that takes work. <laughs> it does take work, right? <laughs> totally. And it's shocking how many people don't realize that, that you actually have to work really hard. Um, always. So yeah, you have to work okay. really hard all the time, like forever. Like it doesn't stop. We're still working hard today. Um, so yeah. that, right. So you were like working for these other great designers and then you started your own business. Like how did you manage? Cause I think being a working mom, when you own your own business is very different from working for a company and in good and bad ways, right. It's just really different. So how did your, how has your business changed? Like as your family has grown, because now you started, you know, your business when you had one baby, now you have three. Um, and there's yes. so many considerations there. How you handle <laughs> mat leave? Like what if you have a client who wants an install and you're like, I am at labor and delivery. Like I, you're SOL. <laughs> I, um, you know, it is constantly a work in progress. I would say the first time I did mat leave with Jack, I, I think I only had one project and it was pretty easy to manage. It was already on the East coast. So I was like, it was, I was used to handling it from afar. So it wasn't like I needed boots on the ground, but I was definitely like, you know, three days in with a baby on my boob, you know, making calls and talking to the upholstery shop. So there, that was not my finest, like, you know, self-care moment. 
Um, and then with Brady, I had hired somebody. So in these, both of these, the first two babies, my, my business was really small. It was really just me. And then when Brady was born, I hired somebody to help, um, to just like bridge the gap when I was on maternity leave. And that turned out to be like an absolute disaster, but, uh, (laughs) it, it all worked out in the end. I had very understanding clients. We had just installed a project and we had a few more that were under construction. So it was kind of a disaster. I would say like all around, it just like was not smooth. And I was very stressed and my two boys are 18 months apart. So I had two babies and a baby business and it was, a mess. This last time, I feel like I really did it right. I have uh, a wonderful team who help me now. Um, and they are like, I mean, they just like can handle everything. Like they handle everything without me. Like I honestly, if I were to just like not show up to work for the next month, I feel very confident that they would be able to make sure it all goes smoothly that we've like everything we've got going on. They would just like continue the course and make sure it happens. So this time I was able to like take I mean, I only took six weeks off, but I took six full weeks like off. I was like not on email. I was not talking to my clients. I was at home with the baby. Um, and that was really, really nice. Yeah. Yeah. It was a big, big change for me. And then I think think beyond that, like having kids, go ahead. Oh no. I was just going to say that. I think that's such a common theme. It's like, if you have a, a baby business, I think I was the same with Baker and COVID and it's, it's much harder when your business is not at a place where like everything's running on full cylinders and you have like a team and you have all these like processes in place and it's like easier to step back. Right. But like by the time you had Harriet, that was not the case. Like you, you were able to step back. No. Yeah. I was like, we have, I was able to step back. We have like, you know, we run, we run all our projects. They go through the same steps. We do the same things every time we have great people that we work with. We have wonderful like subcontractors. I have a great team in my office. We have like a great warehouse team. We've got all of these people who, um, who I've put in place to make sure that we run a tight ship. And, uh, and so that was really, really essential to take time off this time. Love this last baby. Yeah. That's great. And then beyond that, like having kids has been such a great experience to just understand what it's like to live in a house where so many things are out of your control. Um, and who's (laughs) going to sit on the furniture? Like, obviously I love nice things. I want my home to be beautiful and I, and it is, but in order to get it there, I learned so much about, like what fabrics to pick and where to put table lamps and what kind of tables you can have. And like round coffee tables are better than rectangular coffee tables when you have small children and all of these things that I would have never known had I not had little people living in my house um, that made me just a better designer to help other families have beautiful spaces with, you know, little maniacs running around with sticky hands and yogurt faces. Totally. Yeah. I feel like that would be, I was thinking about like the type of fabric too. Cause I remember I looked and we didn't end up getting it, but I was looking at a couch on society socials page, you know, they have like 75 different performance fabrics of, you know, the, the, the a grade, the blah, blah, blah. And it's just so overwhelming. And I mean, I just, I was like, I can't do this. This is too much. I can't figure it out. <laughs> so that like leads me to my next question, which are, what are like some secrets, if that's the right word to great design that like people who are listening can take home and use themselves like things that 
you're like, if people just did this, especially if they have kids, since that's who's listening to this, would make their house more beautiful. I mean, if you just have kids and you want to have a beautiful house, I would say like buy vintage. It's already old and kind of like patinaed and your kids aren't going to mess it up any more than it already is. So that's like mm. one of my favorite hacks for um, for living in a home with children, especially rugs. Like vintage rugs are the greatest secret weapon for family living. They mm. typically have a lot of pattern. They're already pretty worn down. They're usually pretty colorful. Like I've had my kids spill like full cups of like acrylic paint on our dining room rug, which is an, <laughs> it's an antique like Turkish rug that I paid a lot of money for, but it just like, they spilled all over it. It's fine. I wash it out. It's wool and it all, it's all fine. So I think vintage is a great way to go. I think in general, people get really overwhelmed by looking at a lot of beautiful spaces and trying to determine what in those rooms they want to bring into their own home. And mm -hmm. there's so many trends out there that look so beautiful in photos that are probably not really practical for your everyday life. So I would say like, you know, look at a lot of pictures, find the like one or two consistent things that you are being drawn to in that image and go for that rather than trying to execute a whole look of like a trendy page um, in a magazine. And also know that those pictures are heavily styled like the amount of work right. we do to move stuff around for photos is like just needs to be mentioned homes don't look like that all the time and so i think that's a really good point your home is going to look like that all the time <laughs> totally i think you know because even i think like all of us can think of like a friend we have who has like a beautiful home where they definitely hired someone to do the interiors and blah 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 and they have a housekeeper who comes and cleans all the time. It still is lived in. There is still like a juice box on the counter or like the, you know, Hermes blanket is not perfectly folded in the zhuzhed the way. Like that's just not, you know, it's the same as an airbrushed model on a magazine cover. Like they might be hot, but they still have, you know, some rolls or something going on. Some eggs. They still have bad breath know. in the morning. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. They poop. <laughs> Fine. Okay. Which, okay. So that is also, you're basically like really helping me with my flow of my questions here. Um, that brings me to biggest design no-nos you see in, in people's houses. Like, obviously I'm sure you don't walk into people's house and like, mm -mm -mm -mm, this is terrible. But like, do you typically, the same way I see people doing things with baby sleep and I'm like, I wish she wasn't doing that. Are there things where you're like, okay, that's not great. Like that's the problem. I mean, yes, all the time, all the time. And I like, because I get, because I get paid for my opinions, I do not express them when I walk into people's houses, unless I am specifically asked. So yes. I would never walk into somebody's home and be like, Oh my God, I cannot believe you did that. But there are certain <laughs> things that I think make a big difference in, in homes. Number one, correct sized rugs. Rugs should be big. They should take up almost the entire room. They should never be pushed to a wall. They should have like a nice border around it of wall, of floor space. Like my general rule of thumb is like if you're having a rug take up a whole room, there should be 10 to 12 inches of space on the floor between the wall and the edge of the rug. Your furniture should all be on the rug. Think of it like a boat. Like everybody wants to be on the boat. Mm, um, okay. So small rugs, small rugs drive me crazy. Like I just, they make me insane. Um, and Amazing. window treatments that are hung too low also really make me crazy. 
there is such an impact of hanging. Like, even if you're buying drapes from like West Elm or like whatever, Pottery Barn, hang your rod as high as possible above the window. Do not hang it tight to the, to the window casing, hang it up high. It will make your space feel so much Ah. larger and brighter. Um, so when people hang window treatments, like really, really close to the edge of their window, it drives me, it drives me nuts. So I would say like those two things (laughs) on the decorating side, on the construction side, since we do so much, um, we do so much construction in our work. Um, there's like a few things also that make me crazy, but I'm so excited. No, No, I want you to tell me this is so interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So I mean, like my team is like constantly, they like, I have a few things that I hate. So there's this piece of material called Schluter, terrible name. Um, but it's like a little (laughs) metal edge piece that they use to finish tile a lot of times in kitchens and bathrooms. Mm. And it is like my biggest pet peeve. I think it is just, it's just a very, it's a, it's like, just like an easy, like easy way to finish something. And it doesn't look good. It looks kind of cheap in my opinion. There's such, there's so many oper- like options to finish the edge of tile that picking a piece of Schluter is just not it. I hate, I hate Schluter. Um, I, re- <laughs> I really, I really, I really don't like curbless showers, but that's a personal choice. Um, there's a few other things in okay. there, but Schluter is my number one. Like if you are redoing your kitchen, you're redoing a bathroom and your builder's like, we'll just finish this tile with Schluter. Like just say no, ask them for other <laughs> options, get a bull nose. <laughs> have a piece it. of your countertop material cut to finish the end of the tile just don't get schluter it's gross is that the thing that's like sticky sometimes i'm like trying to think no, if it's I've not seen sticky this it's like you've definitely seen it and now you'll notice it now that i'm oh, now gonna notice it I'm, all of these things everywhere i go I'm gonna be like, this rug it's this like, rug is tiny <laughs> nope i hate it <laughs> it's like this tiny little it's like a half inch strip of metal that they put on the edge of tile like you'll see it like when a backsplash ends at a countertop like the vertical edge like they'll finish it with schluter or like a lot of times you'll see it in like public bathrooms which is a fine place for it in a public bathroom whatever but from schluter sure sure but in a home it just in your kitchen it kills me no it's very builder grade i love that very builder grade okay um, I feel like we should which be is, just going which into... Which is just, like, s- secret, secret talk for, like, gross. Like, builder grade is like, ew, why would you do that? Oh. Okay, I'm also <laughs> going to write this down because this is all, like, very interesting. <laughs> builder grade. I'm like, ugh, that's such a builder grade house. We'll hate it. Yeah, um, totally. Yeah. I want, all at the end, doors. we will talk Pass. a little bit... <laughs> what kind of doors? Hollow core. Like, a door that's not solid all the way through. It's just, like, hollow oh, in the middle. Oh, that... Even I know we had those in our house and I had to get them replaced because I was like this, I could just tell, and I know nothing about design or construction. I could tell that they just made everything as cheaply as possible. Like it looked good, but Uh I was starting to see things like that. I was like, this is the cheapest possible material. And you might as well just have the door open because you would close it and the wind would just blow it open. Like that's how it does nothing. It was useless. Yeah. Yeah. Horrible. Useless. Um, I want to talk in a minute about quickly about your experience working with me, but first, because we're on this design space um, and so many of the questions that came in, we got a ton of questions were about design stuff specifically. So, okay. Ellen said, how do you baby proof or make kids safe design choices and still maintain great style? So that's a great question. I think it depends on like what you're trying 
to proof, you know, like, are you trying to proof like safety, safety wise, like, you know, put some, put some fuzzy things on the corners and like, know that they're only going to be there for a few months or six months or something. And you can take them off. Um, if you're trying to like proof your home from spills and just like general wear and tear, I think getting performance fabrics is, um, always a great choice. There's so many, like when I started in this business, there was like, you know, Sunbrella and Perennials Fabric. And those were the only two brands that made outdoor performance fabrics. Now, every single company has a line of performance fabrics in beautiful prints and florals and stripes and colors and all of the different things. They're really soft. They're really family friendly. So I would say in that sense, like get everything, um, get everything in a performance fabric that you can. And then also just like decorate it for how you want it and just tell your kids like it takes a while but like I have a table in our living room that has like bottles of I mean sorry it has bottles of booze on it and it's a beautiful vintage table and for I think both my boys one time they like pulled a bottle off and I was like no 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 they put it back and now nobody touches it it just sits there they just know that it's there it's not fun to play with anymore um and so I think that you know, not every kid will listen. I definitely have one who's less of a listener, but for the most part, they'll, they'll get the, get the hint pretty, pretty quickly. So I hope that, I hope that's helpful. Do you feel like no, that I think it? that's, yeah, totally. And I think you're right. I'm glad you actually said that because I've had so many people come to our house and we have this like vintage, I've been, I don't even know what's actually, it looks vintage, like bamboo bar cart that is, it's literally on the ground and it has tons of booze like it has you know it's all glass bottles of different liquors and stuff and so many people come and are like oh my god I could never have that in my house and same thing it was like they all did it once or twice and I was like no no and I also think if you don't freak out about everything your kids know when you're serious so like they know like if Delaney tries to go touch it Teddy will be like Delaney's touching the bottles and he's like panicking because he's like you know he thinks like something's gonna explode if she grabs them so it's you know you can do that yeah and I have like I I obviously, I love things. So I have a lot of vintage ceramics. Like ceramics are one of my favorite things to buy when I go on trips. Like I just really, really love them. So I have like beautiful ceramic pieces of art, like vases and things, but they are are pieces of art to me, um, all over surfaces in my house. And like my kids know that those are very, very special to me. They cannot be replaced and you can't throw balls in the house. Like, or if you're going right. to throw a ball, just go into a different part of the house. Go into your room. Go into the playroom. Go somewhere right. else. Throw balls in there. And there are certain things that they can mess around with and certain things that they can't. Totally. And that is part of it, too, is having spaces. Like, yeah, of course you're not going to put the ceramic, you know, something super fancy in the boys' room, like on their dresser and be like, you're not allowed to touch that, right? So and I'm glad you said no balls in the house because I'm so adamant about that and I get so much pushback from a certain person. I'm married to. Oh my god! And I'm like, I don't. Oh my care. god! Is his like, name? I, does his have, name start with an A? <laughs> it does. And he's my most difficult <laughs> child. And he's constantly like, they're never going to learn to play ball sports. If I, I'm like, we have an outside. We have an alley and a yard. So go outside. Like, I'm sorry, no. Also, you Especially live in California, older where it's perpetually nice. Exactly. Like, like are you kidding? You guys can go outside like, all year round. <laughs> literally all year round, like every day of the year idiot okay so Anna said we want to renovate some of these questions you can just tell that I have attracted my own core audience that is like me we want to renovate our hideous 90s kitchen but on a budget 
where can we cut corners and where should we not? The most important things I want to change are just the material and color of the counters, backsplash, and cabinet fronts. Yes. Okay. So like that that is exactly what you should change. If your cabinet, so things that I would never, ever skimp on in um, a home remodel of any scale is cabinetry, like never skimp on cabinetry. I know it's really tempting to go for the Ikea cabinet with like the semi handmade front. They will not last. Your cabinets are the most used things in your home. Like think about how many times a day you open and close the the cabinet to get a glass or to get, you know, a spoon or a bowl, whatever. So do not skimp on your cabinet boxes, like the the part that you don't see that's like the integral part of your cabinet. The fronts are less, they're less important because it's really the hinge that's kind of like your bottleneck there. So as long as you have really good cabinet hardware and most, most companies, there's like, there's literally like one cabinet hardware company that makes hinges and slides called Bloom, Blum. And, um, and they're pretty much on everything. So I would just assume that that's what you have and that's fine. So paint the, paint the cabinet fronts, switch out the cabinet fronts if you want. Um, and then change out your countertops and your backsplash. I did that in my kitchen when we moved into our house. And I mean, it was like a 10th of the cost of redoing an entire kitchen and it completely changed the look of our house. The other thing that I would say um, you can do in a kitchen that's pretty easy and not like not such a um, you know doesn't take too much brain power is um, changing out light fixtures. If you have like really mm. ugly, crappy like Home Depot light fixtures in your kitchen, um, it takes an electrician you know maybe twenty minutes to swap out a pendant for a different pendant. So that's a really really great mm. way to easily add style to your house without you know going nuts. Um, and then for countertop materials, you know, with little kids, I, I tend to prefer a manufactured surface like natural stone and marble is so beautiful, but quartz, um, is a great option. And my kids have like literally tie dyed shirts on our kitchen counter and we just wipe it off. And so I feel good about letting them, you know, just be super creative and go nuts in our kitchen without worrying that they're going to damage our beautiful marble countertops. Yeah, totally. And I feel like even without kids, I've heard people who have expertise like you kind of say like, yeah, marble's great. But like, even if you didn't have kids, even if you're just cooking something, you like spilled something or chips, like it's, it seems just very like delicate. Like a kitchen is like a workstation. Yeah. So yeah, you just have to be comfortable when you're using natural materials to just, you just have to be comfortable with a certain level of patina, you know, like things are going to stain, they're going to show wear and tear over time. And some people are like totally into that. They're like the more stains, the more wear on it, the better. Um, Mm. and some people are like, no, I want everything to look brand new from the get go. And it just depends. It's like people who are comfortable having like unlacquered metal on their faucets and, and hardware. Like it's going to show fingerprints. It's going to show age over time. And some people really like that. And some people really don't. Such a good point. We're all different. Um, okay. We're getting really into the weeds here on hardware too. The next question, Cameron said, our new master bath has fugly matching chrome lighting and poles for the cabinetry. Is it worth it to replace? Separately, does the finish of the sinks, poles, and knobs ideally need to match? Oh my gosh, I love this question. Okay, no, it does not need to match. And like I just said, changing out a light fixture is so easy. So yes, change your sconces, change your hardware. I will say when you're picking new hardware though, 
If you have knobs, that's easier because they only have one like hole that you have to drill through. So you can just keep the same hole, switch out the knob. It'll literally, like you can do it yourself. I've done it myself. It takes, you know, two minutes per knob. Um, but if you have a, a type of hardware that's a handle that has two screws, make sure you very carefully measure how far apart those screw holes are and get a pull that has the exact same set, like set of um, mm. holes. Because otherwise you're going to have to redrill the holes and then you'll have to patch and repaint your cabinet fronts. And then you might as well just get a new vanity because it's, it's just so much effort to do that. So while you're replacing hardware, just make sure you look out for those things. If you have a single knob, that is the easiest one to change out. And um, there's like, I mean, even build.com has really great hardware options. Top knobs is a really good company for um, cabinetry hardware that's not too expensive. If you feel like getting a little fancier um, and something a little bit, you know, more high end rejuvenation has beautiful cabinet hardware. Um, so that's, those are two resources for that. And then, yeah, definitely change your sconces and no, they don't all have to match. If you have Chrome, if you have a Chrome faucet and you want to get um, like brass hardware for your for your, um, cabinets, go for it. And then maybe grab a brass sconce for that too. And maybe put a different material on your mirror. Like maybe go for a wood frame mirror and have a few different, different textures and materials there. Yeah, that actually sounds really cool and good to know. I'm, I, I totally relate to that question because I feel like I, because I don't know what I'm doing, I would have assumed that everything would need to be matchy matchy when maybe that actually looks worse than having like a wealth planned out mixture of textures. Yeah. I mean, it, it can go both ways. Like we've definitely in a traditional house, like, you know, we, we will, we will typically match the cabinet hardware to the faucet and the door hardware and all of that kind of stuff, but it doesn't have to like by any means. And when we're redoing a house, um, a lot of times we will have different materials on different things. And I think, you know, it, it can be really, really successful and I think as long as you're, if you, you need to have like a common bridge piece. So like if you have, like a lot of times we'll do it in a mirror or like you can find pieces of hardware that have gold and silver in them. So you can have that one piece that has two of the different materials and that'll kind of like bridge yeah. the gap between the two finishes. So it's really helpful to have something in there that kind of speaks to both finishes so that everything isn't like super disjointed. Right. So cohesive. I love that. Um, mm -hmm. Okay, we were just talking about rugs. Um, Jen said, do you have a brand you recommend for kid-friendly washable rugs? I need a washable 8x10. I don't like Ruggables style. And the ones I do like, Dash and Albert and Lorena Canals, don't fit in my washer. So I'm curious why you have to put it in your washing machine. If it's like a kitchen throw rug um, and you want to be able to wash it, then I totally understand that. Honestly, I might just go to Ikea and see what they have. Um, I, I've used Ruggable several times. I've used it in my house. It's not for me. It's too, uh, it's too much of a pain in the ass to take off of the rug pads and wash it and then get it, getting it back on the rug pad, honestly, is like such a nightmare. You might as well just like have movers come and like just spread down a brand new rug. <laughs> like I mentioned before, um, vintage rugs are a great, great option. If you need something that can just like stand up to the wear and tear of family life, if you're looking for something that um, is in a playroom and like your kids spill paint, I use floor, um, F-L-O-R, carpet tiles a lot for kids' spaces. 
because they can spill on one piece and you can just like swap out that one carpet tile. They're really affordable. They're super customizable for the size that you need. They have really cute patterns. Some of them are thick, some of them are thin. Um, so those I think are really great options for, for kids spaces. Um, and then, yeah, like with vintage drugs, we like every three or four years, honestly, we just have ours picked up and professionally cleaned and then put back down. And yeah, it's annoying for the couple of weeks that we don't have a rug, but I'd rather have a nice rug. <laughs> yeah, totally. No, it, it, you were so right about the patterns. The one we have in our living room downstairs, it is not vintage, but I actually got a relatively cheap one that just looks like a nice oriental rug. But the pattern is such that you have to really try. I mean, Delaney spilled my entire coffee cup last weekend and like, it, I you know, I cleaned, but it's like, it is what it is. You can't see anything. I mean, you'd have to spill an entire bottle of wine, I think, to be able to see it. Which is great. Yeah. And even then um, you, you could like mop that up and, oh, and the other thing I would say is like, yeah, if sorry. you're picking a rug that you need to be able to clean, um, pick organic materials, cotton and wool, even silk will clean really well. Um, polyester viscose will not clean ever. Like do not get a viscose rug. If you're going to be in a high traffic area, it, it just doesn't clean ever. Um, and so just go for organic materials. They can always be cleaned and, um, yeah. So that's another hot tip for you. I love this. I'm learning so much myself. This is great. Um, okay. <laughs> we're pivoting. Our last question I put in here, Nancy said, if you had a different career, what would it be? It's a good one. Oh my gosh. I think about this all the time. I think I would be a doctor. <laughs> Not that I think I'm like a genius and <gasps> I would totally be a doctor, but I have always been fascinated by medicine I, especially when I was like having my kids, the nurse, I, mean, I don't know if I would be a doctor, but I would definitely want to be a nurse. Like the nurses in the hospital and even like at the pediatrician's office, like the nurses do it all. They are so like quick thinking on their feet. They care for everybody. I would think I would want to be a nurse. I think it would be really like an ER nurse or like, like a, um, like a surgical nurse or something. I think it'd be so cool. I, that is, I like would never in a million, I don't know what I would have expected you to say. I definitely wouldn't have expected that, but it's so true. And I, same thing from having, I mean, you're like me and like, we are fortunate that we have not been in a situation where we've been in like the hospital a lot. So like giving birth is the first time you're sort of having that experience and seeing those nurses. I mean, they're the ones who really, yeah, like the doctor pulls the baby out, but like, they're the ones with you the whole time. And I've heard so many stories yeah. of nurses like catching something. One of my friends, they were like, oh, that's the mom's heartbeat. The baby's fine. And then one of the nurses was like, no, that's the baby's heartbeat. Like get her to the OR. And like she, you know, it would have been a tragic outcome if this one nurse hadn't been like, you're wrong. We got to get this baby out. Um, it's it, they're they're amazing. I Complete rock stars. Oh, my God. Yeah. Like my last I have a a history of, of hemorrhaging during birth. So the last one hmm. I gave birth in the, it was like two o'clock in the morning. The, my OB had already gone home and I started bleeding a lot. And the nurses, it was these three nurses and they handled everything. They were like running around, getting all the meds I needed, making sure I wasn't going to die. Like they were on top of it. I was really blown away. And the doctor wasn't even there. She was home sleeping. Incredible. Like a, That's a, separate like a lazy doctor. Time. Like a lazy ass. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, 
God. I love my own bee. She was wonderful. <laughs> I'll be sure to send this to her. Um, okay. Um, I actually did find out this is great. So I found out after I had Delaney, my youngest, and my OB, or I don't know if my OB told me or the nurse told me that there was another woman. I hope this woman isn't listening and figures this out. There was another woman in the room next to me who was also her patient. And we started pushing. We both got to like, you know, we were both like 10 centimeters and like really ready to push. And the nurses came out and they're like, what are you going to do? And she's like, we're taking Brittany first. It's her third. This is the other moment. It was her first baby. They're like, this baby is just going to slide right out of her. She, she was right. She knows what she she's doing. She came out in like one push. <laughs> yep. Uh, but I feel bad yeah, for that other woman. As, they, as they do. But it was fast. <laughs> as they do. Um, okay. So we'll talk quickly because I know you're a busy, busy woman. Um, so you, we work together with the chorus and on 101, on the 101. Wow. But I think since it's most recent in your memory, like what were some of your takeaways? I think it's it's especially fascinating for people to hear. Like I think some people think that you only need sleep support if it's your firstborn. And like once you've had one kid, you're a pro. And so I often will get second and third, even fourth time moms who almost seem like embarrassed. They're like, I don't know why I need help. And I'm like, because every kid is different and we also forget everything. So like what like what was the you impetus for you everything. to yeah, like what made you want to get the course and what, like maybe things surprised you about it or all that good stuff? Well, I mean, the first thing that made me want to get the course is like we had such great success with my two boys and they were like toddlers. And also I've followed you for, you know, we're friends. I followed you since you started your business and I'm always like, God, that Brittany, she's getting another kid <laughs> sleeping. Like this is like, this seems like so, like such a no brainer to just get the sleep course obviously this was my third kid. Um, we have a super busy life. My husband owns his own business. I own my own business. Our kids, our two boys are two boys. They're wild animals at all times. We need to have our energy and we both, all of us in our family really thrive on a routine. So I really wanted to make sure that when Harriet was born, we knew what to expect. Like, yes, there's a certain amount of unknowns with every kid and what their personality is going to be like and what their preferences are going to be. But for the most part, a baby is a baby is a baby. Like they don't have a lot to, they don't have a lot of opinions, you know, like they can't talk. They can't really <laughs> do God. anything. You tell them what to do, when to sleep, when to eat. Yeah. Thank God. Um, <laughs> and I wanted to, I wanted to have that structure for her because it would make, it makes the rest of our life so much easier. And I think I, I texted you when I got your sleep course and I like downloaded and printed the schedules. I like watched all the videos. I was like, I, this is my third kid, but I still was like, I need this information. I don't remember. And I had also two very different sleep experiences with my newborns, um, with the two boys. So I wanted all of that. And I sent you pictures. I like laminated all the schedules week by week. I had them like in a folder in the nursery, like ready to go. I have it taped up in my kitchen. This is Harriet's schedule. Like, and it has been like such a gift, like not even just for our family, but we have people watching our kids at all times. Like when you're like, Oh, how does she do it? <laughs> like I have help. I have a nanny and we have yeah, a wonderful yeah. neighborhood and like aunties up and down the street that help with our kids. I have like so many people who are in and out of our home helping us care for our children and nobody has any questions. Like they know when she's going to eat, they know when she's going to sleep and when she's going to wake up. And I'm not kidding you. The child, like I put her down in her crib for her nap and she just like looks at me, smiles, puts her thumb in her mouth and goes to sleep. Like she just is so delighted to be there and knows that she's going to take a nap and then I'm going to be there or Sarah, our nanny is going to be there 
to pick her right back up when she wakes up from it. And it's incredible. I love that so much. That is exactly what like I, I want every family to experience. And I just wish, I wish people knew that that was possible. Like you don't have to be, I don't know. It's, I think so many people still think like, well, they're just lucky. That person's lucky. It's like, nope. No, I know so many people, I like take her out and they're like, they're like, oh my God, you're so lucky that your baby sleeps. I'm like, I mean, not really. I put a lot of work in and I have like a lot, I have like Brittany made me these really good schedules and she sticks to them. So it wasn't luck. And I had another <laughs> meeting like offensive. this you're week like, and they're like, oh I my. tried really hard. Like, yeah. Like, how dare you? It's not luck. Like I did, I did this. Um, I had a meeting with this, with, uh, somebody this week and she's like, oh my God, you're like really in the thick of it. Like a four month old and two other boys. Like, wow, that must be crazy. I'm like, I mean, not really. It's pretty fine. Like she sleeps and we know what she's going to do. And it's all very, very manageable. Yeah. The secret that, um, I don't tell anybody until they're on the other side is I, I mean, you tell me cause you've had three now too, but my actual favorite age is like three to eight months or something when they like are smiling at you and they sleep through the night and take yes. naps and they're just so cute and they can't move and they can't talk. So they just like sit in the bouncer and are like giggling. It's like the best. Oh my God. It's the best. It's the best. Yeah. yeah. But one, one other thing that I have to tell you is, um, somebody we needed to get a babysitter and one of our friends was like oh three kids like that seems like a lot and my neighbor was over and she was like no babysitting the Bernstein kids is the easiest babysitting job you'll ever have those kids are on a tight schedule (laughs) (laughs) so make but it's true I mean I always I think about that I'm like if you babysit a family where the kids don't go to sleep like that is that's like a really hard babysitting gig it's really hard, but not mine. I'm like, the baby goes to sleep at seven. No. She's not going to make it. Like I had, a, like my friend was over and he like brought the baby monitor. We were outside. Harriet was asleep and he brought the baby monitor outside. I was like, Brendan, that you don't, we don't need that. She's sleeping. She's going to be I sleeping don't that. for till seven tomorrow morning. Like we don't need, we don't need yeah. that. No, we will go next door to our neighbors when the kids are asleep and the door is locked and the alarms are on. And I don't even look like if the nest cam showed me something, I would look, but I don't even, I'm like. I'm right here. I'm going to see if the house is on fire. Like they're all Same. asleep. I know they're asleep. It's great. Yeah. Love it. Um, okay. hundred percent. This has been amazing. The best. Thank you so much, Emily. Um, so enjoyed talking with you as always. And I feel like this is going to be a very popular episode. I personally have learned a lot. Um, and I think everyone else will too. So thanks for your time. Oh my God. It was so fun. Thank you for having me. Yay. Bye guys. Loving the snooze button? Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And please leave a review. I will read it and internalize it, so make sure it's very glowing. If you're interested in working with me or learning more about my courses, head to brittanysheehan.com or follow me on Instagram at Sleep.